Hey there, chocolate lovers. If you'd like to watch the video version of this podcast, you can find it on our Craft Chocolate TV YouTube channel. We go Welcome back? to Craft Chocolate Welcome TV. Welcome to Craft Chocolate TV. Greg D. Yes. Oh my god. And we are ready oh to talk god. about. It's going to be great. Sugar. Mm. The sweet stuff. Mm-hmm. Refine. We're talking about refining things and refined <laughs> things. How about that? Well said. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have no, put it better. I mean, it's okay, sir. <laughs> okay, so so what we were just talking about is people want to know what we're actually drinking, oh, yes, and so true. Greg is drinking water. I'm drinking water. <laughs> I am not drinking water. I'm drinking a Beaujolais Village, and this is called Premise. It's actually amazing. It's one of my favorite ones. I think it's so drinkable. And when and I'm done with the water, Greg's drinking Petit Royal, which is a Lambert de Cecil, which is a little bit obscure. And it's delicious as well. It's made in the classic champagne method, I believe, oh. but with some really obscure grapes obscure, that I can't... just like me. <laughs> yeah. Well said as well. So now that we're rolling, <laughs> yeah. um, let's talk about sugar. All right. You're the only one who's ever visited the place <laughs> we buy sugar from. But before we get into that, we tend to use as craft chocolate makers or chocolate makers in general are refined cane sugar. Mm-hmm. And this is because we don't want to impart flavors into the yep. chocolate. We want you to taste chocolate, not the sugar, which is why we don't use brown sugar. We don't use coconut yep. sugar. Yep. We don't use yep. sorbitol or xylitol or whatever else might yeah, be yeah. because they all have flavors. We, yeah. We've done monk fruit for experimenting. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how we all use native sure. sugar? Yeah. Um. So, well, and um. there's... Uh, just to, to to sort of even go back a step, um, there like there's what people call refined sugar and unrefined sugar, um, mm. and w- and when you when you hear refined sugar, most of the people are talking about like sugar that's like very white, and unrefined sugar that sugar is not exactly white, so it's sort of a caramel color. Right, ours is a um, little bit off white. Right, and so the reason for that is um, the sugar itself is uh, um, is is just sucrose, right? Um, out of out of sugar cane. So we don't use beet sugar. Beet sugar is very popular in the United States because sugar beets are grown in the United States, um, as well as for sort of like larger chocolate makers in the U.S., a lot of them will use beet sugar. Now, this sugar. is a little bit of a tangent, but mm-hmm. we were looking for uh, U.S. grown or Hawaiian grown sugar. After Did Hawa- you find any? Hawaii stopped growing sugar a few years ago, maybe three, so four years none? ago, 2016. There's not maybe? even like craft sugar here? No, because it's all being made into rum, which is a very good idea. I mean, because we so what I was value added is, agriculture is, is the way to go. If we make if we make um, a bar from Hawaiian cocoa, I think it would be really cool to use Hawaiian sugar in it. Great too. idea. I don't know if it's possible. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a hunt. I'm gonna see what I can find. I'm curious what you'll find because there's nothing available unless the rum guys don't want to make rum anymore. Well, but the problem is then. Well, okay. So let's get into it. So so sugar. Um, so so as everyone listening probably knows, um, chocolate itself is. Uh, is essentially um, the fat from the cocoa bean and then sort of particles in this fat, right? And so those particles in the fat are um, the sort of the leftover stuff from the cocoa bean that's not the fat. So like, you know, um, uh, the the sort of non-fat components. Um, and then in our case, in Dandelion's case, and in your case too, I believe, sugar. Yeah, so it's our second largest ingredient. Right. And so um, one of the things that's really important though is that that sugar... Um, it, it can't have moisture 
because if the sugar has moisture, that whole sort of like um, the colloid that is the chocolate will break. Explain right? a colloid. Um, a colloid is uh, is two dissimilar um, microscopic materials, and I know chocolate is technically not microscopic, but it's pretty close, um, that are in a homogenous sort of uh, mixture, right? We covered this, actually. We, yeah, we did. I just... Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think, and, and so the, the thing about the sugar is um, sugar has moisture in it. Now, cocoa beans have some moisture in it too. So cocoa beans are like usually somewhere in the yeah. like 7%. It's like 6 before to 7%. Before roasting. Before roasting, exactly. And so like one of the things you do is you try to re reduce the moisture because um, additional moisture makes for additional sort of uh, um, viscosity to the chocolate. Now, the sugar, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely getting to a point here. Um, uh, white sugar has fewer impurities to it. This is why it's white. The natural color that comes out of the sugar cane is a, is a sort of brownish color. Yeah. So what... Caramely. Yeah, it's caramely, right? Um, oh, man, I just did my like Midwestern caramel instead of caramel. Um, I never so, know what word to use. Caramel, caramel. It's, um, uh, it's a regional thing, supposedly. See, but... I'm in Hawaii, and I still oh, yeah. don't really know what yeah. to use. Mm -hmm. We're going to go with caramel. We're going to go with caramel today. Okay, for today. Um, so, um, so there's impurities in it. And those impurities add additional sort of um, uh, additional particles in this sort of chocolate solution. And those additional particles add additional viscosity. Okay. So, tech, so in general, like... Uh, what is called unrefined sugar or, or sort of, you know, organic sugar tends to make your chocolate a little Terminado thicker. Terminado sugar. Well, terminado sugar is something slightly different and has even more... Impurities. Impurities. Yeah. Yeah. It's got that um, golden look. Exactly. Uh, so, um, so the sugar that we're using and, like, I mean, almost everybody's using the sugar. Like, most of the chocolate makers I know use the yeah, sugar. Yeah, we've got a cooperative going on. Yeah. I don't know who originally set it up, but we all buy sugar together, which helps us get a better price. If on I organic recall sugar. correctly, the first company that found the sugar was Mike Orlando at Twenty Four Blackbirds. Oh yeah, and then he contacted us. We liked it, and then we we and Parliament, the three of us together, created this blanket PO, and now we've been expanding it to chocolate makers throughout the United States. Um, we get a better price if there's other chocolate makers in the United States who are interested in talking to us about the blanket PO. Please contact us. Um, and so, um, and so this sugar, the thing that was really interesting about it is it did not add a lot of viscosity. So, like, it was about the same viscosity as, as the sort of, like, you know, C&H white sugar that we were using before. Yeah. It's not that much more expensive, and it didn't contribute a lot of flavor. Yep. So that's why we started using it. Then we looked into it, and, oh, wow, it's cool sugar. So um, it's grown in Brazil. Um, and so I, I went down, I actually went down with Ryan Burke from Parliament Chocolate and Arcelia Gallardo from um, uh, Mission Chocolate. And the three of us went and visited. Um, and it was really fascinating. Um, they, this is a company that basically spent 10 years. Called Native. Uh, um, yes. Yeah, so the, 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 the name of the whole company is, well, it's Nachive in like Portuguese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Of course. So it's Nachive. Um, and they um, spent 10 years converting from a conventional farm to an organic farm. Right. And this is because the son had studied environmental studies or environmental science and really wanted to see where he could take their extremely large cacao, I, sorry, sugar. sugar plantation. That's exactly. And he, and like, and that's exactly what happened. He was just like, we're doing it wrong. Um, and there was, or a, we're, we're causing harm instead yeah. of 
maybe uh, cooperating with the environment. And he, um, he, he, one of my favorite comments from him is he said uh, a lot of um, conventional organic producers say those conventional people are like thinking in a box. They think about, you know, fertilizers and pesticides, etc. Um, but he said, like, the organic people also kind of think in a box. It's just, it's a different box. Their box is, how much manure do you need? How much, you know, it's, um, yeah. and, you know, their approach was, like, let's, um, I, the way I would describe it is, let's only try to extract as much from the earth as the earth is willing to give. They're breaking the mold. Yeah, totally breaking the mold. Um, and, and it took them, it took them about 10 years to do this conversion process. But at the end of the 10 year process, right now they're making on the same amount of land, they make about 30% more sugar than all the conventional people nearby do because they treat the land well. You treat the land well, things grow well. It gives back. Right. Um, and so, uh, um, and so it, it was kind of interesting. And there's a lot of changes that they make. So, um, wow. 30% more. 30% more is like not. That's massive yeah, in exactly. agriculture. Um, and this sugar, by the way, the sugar from Nachive, um, is brought into the United States by Global Organics, um, but um, we also use it in Japan. There's a company that brings it in Japan. It's brought into Europe as well. Um, it's the largest organic sugar farm in the world. I, I believe it's the largest organic sugar farm in the world. Yes. Yeah. Um, Do you have any idea of hectares or? Uh, um, they they uh, have a different word in Brazil, hobas. Oh, yeah. I think they call it hobas. Oh, see, now I'm going back into my memory. There's all these things where I had all these statistics. I it's probably should have looked up before we talked about this. Freaking massive. Um, yeah, 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 The size of this plantation. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, and even the size of the mill, the sugar mill that they, that they, um, they have is huge. Yeah. Um, it produces enough power to power the local city of like 600,000 people. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, like, this is a massive operation, but like they're, they're doing it the right way. Um, and so... And so some of the changes they made are sugar in general is a burn crop. And this is one of the things that I never knew about sugar and I found fascinating. Well, it's so, so sugar has all these leaves on it. And so when you're cutting down all the sugar cane and you want to press it, all these leaves get in the way. So the way in general you deal with that is you burn your field... And it burns off all the leaves, and then you just go and collect all the sugar cane afterwards. I remember being young and driving out to the yeah. North Shore with my dad, and we would see just, like, smoking piles of sugar cane. And you're like, why in the world? In, you know, early 90s yep. in Hawaii. And, and, and the cane itself has, like, a wax around it and also has a lot of moisture inside, so it doesn't burn. The only thing that burns is all the leaves. Right. Now, you can imagine, this is not a great environmental thing to do. No, just massive piles of smoke growing up in the atmosphere. Right? I mean, you're releasing all this carbon into the atmosphere, you know. Um, and so that was one of the things they wanted to change. And so they spent, uh, I believe it was about five years, developing a green cane harvester. So a machine that will cut the cane down, strip the leaves off, Spit the leaves back into the field for just biomass to yes, fertilize the field. Yeah, exactly. A couple of weeks. Um, and in fact, the, the thing they found is they found like a fungus that they put on the leaves oh, yeah. that helps to break it down. Yeah, um, sure. And so this is how they tra transform into an organic project. It's not about like get as much manure as you can. It's about like put earthworms in the ground so that they're like, you know, that they're, they're sort of keeping a rich soil. Like get the leaves back into the ground, break it down with a fungus. Like, and, and before we move on, they've planted patches of forests or along certain stream beds that yep. flow through their properties they've planted right. um large what, what would you call it like uh forested areas yes yeah. um, and, and just sort of for, forever wild areas right where they sort of planted it out they don't touch it no sugar grows there and, and last this i recall in what way well last i recall they said they found something like like almost 20 
like previously thought either endangered or extinct species back returned because again the land's healthy so stuff comes back i mean it's just like it was really it's really inspirational to sort of like see the work they're putting in especially because they're at scale yeah that's exactly and that's what they were saying is that like everybody's like well this seems nice and all but you can't do this like this isn't how you farm but the reality is, it can be how you and farm. And I, I want to draw a parallel to this in the way that we do craft chocolate. Mm-hmm. Because we often associate um, good chocolate has to be small scale. Right. I disagree with this. Right. I think really good chocolate can come from very large scale if you source good beans and follow good uh, right. chocolate making procedures. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's one of the things <clears> both <throat> of us are kind of excited to do is that continue to scale to prove that like... You can like you don't you don't have to compromise to try to scale, and I think that's the fear a lot of people have is that as soon as you get big, you're compromising, and you know then you lose it. And so the only good stuff that exists in the world is made by very very small companies. Right. Now don't get me wrong, love supporting small companies, but I think like I think trying to scale and do things well at the same time is a worthy goal. Yeah, you know. and I think Patagonia is a good example of it. Great this. example of it. They're yeah. quite large. Right. And they have a lot of positive impact. In yeah. fact, a lot more than a small company. Yeah. And and that's the thing. The bigger you get, this is what I think about for, for cocoa all the time. You know, right now we get about 100 to 150 tons of beans a year. If we could buy 1,000 tons of beans a year, because we use 1,000 tons of beans... There you go. Like all the cocoa producers we're working would be super excited because we'd be buying more of their cocoa. And then we could start buying from other cocoa producers who would like to work with us. And, you know, we we need the market to shift again to the point where it's a bean seller's market. And that's odd to say as a cocoa buyer. I'm with you. It has to happen. And that's when we first started in 2010. It was a bean seller's market. Yeah. And now now it's flipped. It's certainly flipped over the last maybe four or five years, whatever yeah. it might have been. There is, there is an, there, before, there, was a, there wasn't enough supply and there was more demand, and now there's more supply than there is demand. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, one of the other things that, um, that um, Nachive did in their project is they converted all of their trucks to run from, oh, I'm going to get it wrong, ethanol, methanol, mm-hmm. ethanol. Um, uh, one of the byproducts of, um, of the, the sugar processing they're doing. Um, so I may not be right, but I'm going to assume it's ethanol. I think it's ethanol. Yeah. I always get it wrong. And someday I'm going to go blind because I get it wrong. That's going to be the worst day. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, uh, so, um, uh, and the other thing they did is they, um, they, they converted all the vehicles so that the tires are huge. So it doesn't crush the soil because the, right. like they, air gaps they feel like huge tires full of air. Yep. Then they yep. don't have as much yeah, so impact you, on the earth. Yeah. I mean, it's just all these like little details. It were really fascinating. Um, well, so then the actual processing itself. And this is where you get into the meat of the difference between refined and unrefined sugar. And I hate the terms refined and unrefined because, like, technically all of it is, like... It's it, all refined. It's all refined to a degree, right? Yeah, so this um, is where I'm confused as well. Yeah. Well, so the so I have only seen this sugar mill. Um, my understanding is the way you get refined sugar or the sort of white crystals is it goes through an additional process of filtration through bone ash. Cow bone ash. Cow bone ash is, I believe, the, what's usually used, which is why white sugar is not vegan. Right. Yeah. And like this was yeah, the Yeah, yeah. People, people don't really oh, know that. But yeah. white sugar is not vegan because it passes through cow bone ash. 
And this is, again, I haven't seen it myself. This is my understanding of the but way it works. I've heard it multiple yeah, times. Yeah. There was, there was, there were some, there were some guys in Thailand that used to say that they filtered through coconut husk instead of bone ash to make it still <clears> vegan. <throat> but then I talked to other people, they were like, nah, I, like, I think that's shady. I don't think that's working. And then that company like up and disappeared one day. Yeah. And like, and so I was like, okay, maybe it was shady. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, <laughs> that's a shady thing to do to up and disappear. <laughs> but, but, but the way the processing works is, so they, they have these, these green cane harvesters. They take the cane, um, and, uh, um, they, they essentially, they, they cut the cane, the leaves come off. What they're left with is the, the cane the itself, stock. which is for anyone who hasn't seen sugar cane. Look it up. It's, it's yeah, cool. It's a big stick. Um, yeah, it's a big stick. Yeah, it's um, a very it tastes sweet really stick. good. Yeah, it's yeah. a very tasty big stick. <laughs> Delicious. Um, so then they run it through a press, um, and they press all the juice out. And then what they're left with, I believe it's called bagasse. I think that's what it's called, um, which is the sort of like you're the one who visited the large sugar <laughs> a couple of years ago. Um, but um, repeat in, visit, yeah, exactly. Craft chocolate TV episode coming up. So I was just I was actually just talking to the global organics folks two two days ago yesterday. Um, oh, it must have been yesterday. Did they get a new shipment um, in? Because my God, oh, there's a lot of stuff going on with sugar right now. Yeah, the, um, this is a bit of a tangent, but the whole world is running out of supplies because no one knew what to well, buy. Well, in the United States, it's specifically the USDA um, ha- will will only give the sort of lowered tariff on a certain set on a certain amount of sugar every quarter, and the the consumption of organic sugar went up during the pandemic. Um, but the USDA lowered the amount of sugar that comes in uh, oh, under this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so they're trying to fix it, um, you know, and the or, all the organic sugar importers. Um, also really interesting um, numbers, uh, about 12 million um, metric tons of conventional sugar are consumed in the United States and about 200,000 organic tons. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah, 12 there's, million there's conventional, 200,000 organic. Like, it's a really, like, it's a small yeah, stag- percentage. Staggering. Yeah. Yeah. And um, where is most of the sugar going? Organic and not organic. I know you know um, a little bit about this. So, so, uh, so one of the largest consumers of the organic sugar that we use is, uh, is a yogurt company. There's a lot of sugar in yogurt. Um, but like the, for the American palate, for yeah, for the American palate. Um, but um, for the conventional sugar, it's like it's in you know it's everywhere and everything, right? Kool Aid, yeah. Yes. Um, uh, but so um, yeah, and so the thing that's happening right now, and the reason there's this like uh, weird shortage in the United States is it has to do with politics more than anything else. It's like it's like the it's you it's know it's been a year of politics. Yeah, it's been a year of politics. Um, it, it really has been a year of politics. Um, okay. But so, so after they press the sugar cane, this is the part I think is really interesting. So they press the sugar cane um, and you're left with juice. But this juice has a lot of stuff in it, like, um, like minerals in it. And this is where we get into the like, why is this sugar diff- like, re- like taste different? So the next thing you do is you centrifuge that like that pressed that juice, if you will. So when people say cane juice, this is technically cane juice. We're, like sugar crystals is not cane juice. Right, but this is the the juice. You centrifuge Which it, but you can drink and it's delicious. Oh, it's amazing! You see it all Fresh over South America. Juice they is like the best. Run the oh, stock of sugarcane through a press. It's in Hawaii too. There's like farmers markets here where you can go and just get fresh pressed sugarcane. That's cane pretty juice. new. 
Oh, it's really good. But it's good. freaking delicious. It's so good. Yeah. Um, well, and it's actually not bad for you, right? Because yeah, it's like yeah. because there's a lot of water in it. Um, and again, like all these like all these like minerals and you know. So, but to, but the problem is that that's not what people want in their sugar. Right, they want they want to get rid of that, so you centrifuge it, and it gets out all the like dirt and like, um, and, and okay, so you have some type of um, vehicle, some some type of uh, maybe cylindrical perforation tube that's spinning very quickly, and then and it's throwing everything out. And the so denser these, stuff goes to the outside, exactly. Yep, and then you're left with more of the purities on the inside. That's exactly, and then that juice that you're left with, you boil. And as you so boil you it off, pasteurizing it. No, no, you're boiling the you're boiling the the, the, oh, the moisture water off. off. You're boiling. That's the how water. you get okay. crystals, right? And this is when we talk when I when I mentioned that they like have enough that it generates power for the nearby city. Well, you have to boil the all the the the, the moisture off. This is how people turn turbines, right? It's I've I've, been, I've always been fascinated by this that like. Power production is one of the like least so efficient things ever. This is the heat that's generated from boiling it off, and it's spinning the turbine, which then powers the community. Yeah, because Why not. <laughs> well, and it's just it's waste heat, right? Like they have to put the heat in, and like spinning a turbine is a way to convert that heat back into power. But like a lot of times, it just goes into the air as heat pollution, or right? Because so it can push something. Yeah, and this is, I, um, I was truly fascinated when I learned that this is how nuclear power plants work. My understanding is the way nuclear power plants still work is they're using nuclear energy to boil water to turn turbines. Huh, sounds primitive. Yeah, like, it's just like, it's like nuclear energy boils water pretty efficiently, so it uses like less energy to do it. But I agree with you. Like, t- when I found that out, I was like, come on. There's got to be a better way to convert like this energy into electricity, but it's just like turbines is like the way people convert things into electricity, and so it's sort of like right. has just become the Get sort a of like big thing that spins and 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 put a lot of heat into water, and then that water converts into steam, and and that steam has energy to it, and it turns so turbines. You're saying we haven't evolved much from the steam engine. Well, <laughs> like in some industries, solar is different. So solar has has sort of direct you know photovoltaic conversion, yeah, yeah, yeah. but for most for the most part no, it's crazy. It's crazy for the most part. Like that's how so much of sort of power generation works. Which is, again, so fascinating to me. Again, there's okay. also there's so hydroelectric. Oh, we're talking about sugar, aren't we? Sugar. Yeah, we're talking about sugar. <laughs> um, anyway, but but back back to maybe different types of sugar. Hmm. Have you guys ever experimented with coconut sugar, brown sugar? We have. Um, I alternative mean, alternative sweeteners. Most mostly, we've experimented. Um, Cynthia Ardino Beans at Dandelion did, did a bunch of sort of like small batches to taste what different things taste like. And the reality is, what because we're single origin and we focus so heavily on the beans themselves, all of these things basically contribute so much flavor to it took away that like you're just not getting the nuances of the beans that's why we don't do it in craft chocolate yeah and Um, and this also ties into 70 percent dark chocolate bars is 30 percent additional sugar really balances out the cocoa bean absolutely it it adds uh, it takes away the bitterness that might be uh in there to the point where you can really taste the nuances in the cacao yep yep I agree. And and like that's why like 70% is sort of my favorite. 
85%, like we also make 85% bars. 85% is good. The challenge is um, sometimes the flavors are so intense that you end up like not being able to taste them as much. It's kind of like... Yeah, it's true. It becomes overwhelming at a certain yeah. point. It's sort of like... It's um, more like health food. Yeah. That's what it turns I, into. I, I, I would say it's like um, Carson, who is recording us right now, has called my voice spiky. Um, and <laughs> No happens, more than 20 minutes ago. <laughs> very recently. Um, but he's not wrong. Um, and, and because my voice sort of like hits the outside limits of the recording device, it's the same thing with cocoa in your mouth. I gotta say, right? that's a great analogy. Wow. Thank you. I, I have a story of how I once found a party in uh, Paris. Oh. And it was because I was walking around wondering where the heck this party was. And the only person I could hear was Greg <laughs> from somewhere in the distance. I would argue I'm not loud so much as my voice resonates with building materials really well. It that is my argument. It balances extremely well. I don't know well. that that argument is valid. And I picked just, it up. Uh, yeah. And then I found the party. I, in in, in uh, uh, the first chocolate, the first craft chocolate festival in Japan that we did, um, that's how almost everybody found it. Is they like listen and they're like, I hear something. Is it a Greg? <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, actually, even in college, my friends would do that. Like when I'd be at work, they would like come. I worked in the computer center. This is not a shock to anyone. Um, and they would, my friends would literally come into the middle of the computer center and just like, just listen for two minutes and be like, Greg's on the third floor. Um, okay, it was a game. Yeah, they I all mean, played. You know, have you guys ever played with alternative sweeteners? Oh yeah. We do tell me about topic, it. We? Um, well, so coconut palm sugar. Um, yeah. That's a good one to start with. Coconut palm sugar is a really kind of a common thing that people want to add to chocolate. It is a common thing. It does um, take away from the flavor, or it adds takes away flavor from the flavor. On how you want to look here's, at it. Here's the tricky part. Almost everybody who hears coconut palm sugar thinks, "Oh, it's got a low glycemic index." They do think of that. Mm-hmm. I've tried to find this evidence of the low glycemic index. And as far as I could tell, all of the evidence pointed back to a single study done by the, I believe it was the Malaysian Coconut Palm Sugar Institute. Oh, that's on, a good one to put it out on, too. <laughs> on, yeah, on like eight people that was not peer reviewed. I, like, I, I, I hate to say it, but I think what happens is people really want sugar, but want to feel good about the sugar. And so as soon as you hear low glycemic index, you're like, that sugar is better for me. I'll use it. But like, I don't know that the science out there actually backs it up. Again, I haven't found any science that backs it up. Yeah. I mean, I would not say like a single study done on a handful of people that's not peer reviewed is science, right? I would say that is anecdotal information. So, you know, on a semi related note, we experimented with coconut sugar. Mm-hmm. And found that it added a lot of moisture. Yeah, it adds a ton of moisture. Absolutely. And, and it made it very difficult for us to temper our chocolate. Really viscous. Yep. Not, so not only did it alter the flavor, mm-hmm. but we no longer could temper as easily. And we have additional issues being in the tropics. So, oh, yeah, you do. So it made yeah. tempering a, uh, a difficult a thing, thing to do. <laughs> um, for, actually, for years, um, one of the things we did to sort of make tempering our chocolate easier is we dried our nibs out in a bread proofer. I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we like, we did. But you guys also roast extremely light, so you'd have residual moisture in your nibs higher than, say, we would at right. roasting at 245. Well, so we did that for years. You know, you'd crack and winnow the nib, you know, get your nibs, put them in, put them in the proofer, leave them in the proofer overnight. Then, two years ago, 2019, uh, Elman did, like, a study to try it again, see what happens. 
see if it's easier or harder to temper if you do and don't proof the nibs. The answer didn't make any difference. <laughs> and like, and like, but I think this is a good lesson for everybody. Whereas yeah, totally. like, is like you convince yourself of something and we convince ourselves of it with data. This was not like we just did it. How much moisture did you remove from your nibs? Um, well, so the way we did it, the way we originally sort of collected the data is we basically like put the nibs in, like we weighed the nibs, put them in there and then weighed them afterwards to see how much moisture loss there was. And I want to say it was like, it was a couple percent. I want to say it was like over 1%. Which is that's significant. Yeah, at that that's level. significant. I mean, like that's fifty percent or or forty thirty yeah. percent of the amount that remains. Yep. Um, but when we just redid it, it just like it didn't make any difference in the tempering, and so we've stopped doing that part of the process. So maybe this is a really good segue because the next thing that we're going to talk about is tempering machines. Love it. Uh, tempering. We're going to talk about tempering next. Oh my god! Thank you so we're much. We're going to lose our temper. It was a very sweet episode. Thank you for joining me. Until next time, thanks for watching Craft Chocolate TV. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe. We'll see you later. Aloha. Hi guys. If you enjoyed the podcast, we'd appreciate if you subscribe and give a review. This helps other chocolate lovers like yourself discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day.